We're now going to uh, have a Stephen's uh, message uh, that has been laid on him by uh, our father this week. So thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Let me pray for you. <laughs> Father, we thank you for Stephen. We thank you for his heart, which is towards you. Father, we thank you for the message that you have laid on his heart this morning. And we ask that you, um, through your Holy Spirit, just bring those things that are right for us to hear and to understand for each of us. Make it bespoke for each of us today. We give you thanks, Stephen, and we thank you for the message that he brings uh, from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to try some new technology this morning, which is uh, unusual for me. Um, so with the help of Pete, we went through this, and uh, I'm hoping that it's all going to... Uh, Come to fruition. If you need me, just yeah. I will shout if I need you, please. Thank you. Unfortunately, <laughs> my laptop closes down with that. Yeah, put the numbers in again. So join with that video, Pete. Let's share screen. Can I try? Here we go. Yes. Did you share? You said it's going to hang. Well, I will open what I need. Can we sort of uh, minimize that? Yes. You can make it bigger. Okay, so I've got some introductory remarks before I launch into Romans 8, which is what I want to speak about this morning. And it was very interesting, certainly having a quiz, uh, and also some of the um, uh, comments that we've been having about, um, you know, people that are highly educated and, you know, how they want to do it all on their own. And so I've got a bit of a quote here from a poet. I don't often use secular stuff, but just a very um, short um, example from this is from Alexander Pope. He says this, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Deep, drink deep or taste not the Pyrrhean spring. And he then goes on to talk about how um, the, the whole fact of learning and, and studying, and he actually talks about, um, he says, the growing labors of the lengthened way, the increasing prospect tires our wandering eyes, hills peep over hills and Alps on Alps arise. And what he's saying is, and if any of you have ever been hiking, um, and I've done, and one of my most memorable hikes is on the Cleveland Way with a huge great backpack. It was the weight about 45 pounds. 
uh, with my son Mark. And we're walking up these stone steps carved into the rock. And you can just see the, 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 the finish and you think, oh, thank the Lord for that. And you just get there and then you realize the horror that is only a full summit and there is yet more to do. Uh, and this is what Alexander Pope was saying in, in, his, um, in his poem there, that just when you think that you understand what's going on, just when you think you've acquired this knowledge, of a sudden you realize um, that you really, really haven't. Uh, and, and that brings me to God's word, which I think is totally unfathomable in so many ways. Of course, we can understand uh, the basic uh, concepts, but the unfathomable riches of Christ and his word, which uh, is actually mentioned in Ephesians uh, 3.8. Um, and the Greek word uh, for unfathomable describes something that cannot be fully comprehended. It's just so deep. And I often look uh, to mix a metaphor and go from Alps and talk about the ocean, that God's word uh, is like an ocean without any borders. There's no shore. And it just goes on forever and ever. And the depth of it is just beyond our imagining. And I think if we were to study God's word for eternity, we would never, ever plumb the depths of it. I think that is one of the most amazing things. Um, and God's word, of course, speaks of the whole character of God. And my passion has always been in studying God's word to try to the best of my knowledge um, to preach the whole counsel of God to the best of my understanding. So not to uh, have God as a, a one-dimensional character, as often said, and again, to preach the God who is, not sometimes the God um, that we would want. And so Paul's letter to the Romans, it really is a powerful exposition of the doctrine of the supremacy of Christ and all that Christ has done, faith as the source uh, of our salvation. And this is uh, the chapter that I want to walk us through and sometimes perhaps run us through uh, as we go through Romans. And Romans 8 is no dry theological treatise. This is something that Paul actually lived. And as I go through it, and just try to imagine that this is something that Paul actually lived. And by a great irony, I guess, really, he was martyred in Rome. So the very place where he preached this word and where he sent this letter to Rome was where he was martyred uh, in AD 64. Paul suffered, as he says in, uh, in, in, in scriptures, hunger and cold. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. And so for him, this message must have been a very, very powerful um, <clears throat> way of expressing um, what God has done in his life, how he protected him, how he kept him. And as I walk us through Romans 8, there are various phrases that come up repeatedly. So it talks about in Christ. It talks about the law uh, of life in the spirit of Christ. It talks about the law of sin and death. It talks about the righteous requirement of the law. Um, and, and, and many things um, such as that. So, without ado, I shall head into Therefore, there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. <clears throat> For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not conform to God's law, and indeed it cannot do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you are living according to the spirit, putting to death the practices of the body, then you will live for as many as are being led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading once again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and in daughters of God, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And if we do this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body, our adoption as sons and daughters. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, then with perseverance 
we eagerly wait for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, because those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? It is Christ Jesus who died and yes, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or death, or any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, Romans 8, being described as perhaps one of the greatest books um, in the Bible. And there isn't time to even start to scratch the surface of Romans 8. So I'm going to look at just a couple of the words this morning. And uh, use that color. And if you have ever had to sign a document that's a legal signature, and they've given you a mouse to write your name. You know how difficult it's trying to put this on. So the word is there, therefore, in Romans 8. If I was to say to you, therefore, I'm going to give you 500 pounds, I think one of your questions would be, what's that there for? There's got to be a reason behind that. And in Romans 8, and because originally with the Bible, there weren't any chapters and there weren't any verse numbers, it was all just one long and story. And so sometimes it gets a bit split up. So therefore, to find out what the therefore is, we just need to hop back just briefly uh, to Romans 7. And here, go away, make a moment. Here we have Paul, where he's saying, I joyfully concur with the law of God, which is a bit of an old word. Um, and what he means is I delight in the law of God, in the inner man. And so if I just 
show you uh, here. So concur, uh, and that, if I can write it, I'm actually going to look for a better program than this, but I thought I'd try you out. You can be my guinea pig. I'd be very interested whether it's helpful to see, <laughs> to see the magic of the back button, um, whether it's actually helpful to see things highlighted or whether or not it's actually a bit more um, confusing because I know for me, I really like mind maps. And when I was studying law at university, I used to have mind maps with lots of pictures. So he delights in the law of God. In the inner man. And so the inner man here, and I'm not going to try too much writing because it's quite difficult. The inner man is the spirit. Paul's talking about how in his inner spirit, he just delights in the law of God. Uh, it's his joy, it's delight. And then he says, but I see here a different law. The different law is the one that's mentioned in Romans 8, which is the law of sin and death. That's the different law. And he talks here also about it in his members. Waging war against the law of my mind. Paul's members, he's talking about hands and his eyes and the thoughts in his mind, uh, even his feet. And also it has sexual references as well when he actually talks about this different law, this law of sin and death in his members. And he wages war against the law of his mind, which comes up to the inner man, and that is the spirit. And so we have this battle, this war that's going on, not just within Paul, but within us. Uh, and Paul, does he not say the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, these are the things that I do. And he actually says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? And so there is this war that's going on, making him captive to the law of sin. But then he goes on to say here, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's admitting here, on the one hand, I myself with my mind observing the law of God, but on the other, the flesh, uh, in the flesh, the law of sin. And so that's what's actually going on in Paul's mind uh, and in his body, in his flesh. But this is where he comes to the therefore, and he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the key to all of that is in Christ Jesus. Because if we are in Christ Jesus, then we are set free from the law of sin and death. It no longer applies. This word here, condemnation, that's a legal word. It's a verdict. Uh, and I can remember many times going to court and awaiting for the verdict in the court. You know, will the chap be found guilty? Will he be set free? So this is actually a legal word, it's condemnation, but the verdict is no condemnation. And so we're walking free from the prison because we are in Christ. And as um, I was reading earlier uh, in Romans 8, if you are in Christ, then you are not under the law of sin and death. You have um, life and you have peace. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did 
sending his own son. So he's saying here, Paul, that the law of itself was not adequate because it was in the flesh. And if any of you are drivers, you will know if you're driving, hopefully not through civil heading and you see a 30 mile per hour speed sign, does the law that says you must only do 30, does that actually constrain you? So are we all doing 30 mile an hour? And when we come to a 40, are we all doing 40? Because the law says that we should. So is the law powerful? Does it have that effect? I would suggest no, it absolutely doesn't. If you look at criminal law, um, burglaries and thefts, the law says, and even scripture says you must not steal. If you look at the, you know, the laws going back to the Old Testament, and the law in itself changes nothing. So what did God do? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So God comes in the likeness of flesh so that the law actually would be overcome and that God's law, the law, as it says, of life in Christ Jesus would actually set us free. He condemned sin, did our God, in the flesh. Whose flesh? In the flesh of Christ. The sin that he condemned was put on Christ. So when he condemned sin in the flesh, he was saying, this is my son. This is the sin of the world, as we were talking about this morning. You know, sins that we've committed, sins we will, sins uh, for the future. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh. So that's the whole key in that first part of Romans 8. In the spirit, in Christ Jesus, set free from the law of sin and death. And of course, this presupposes when one reads it, that those who are called into the flesh, that their minds on the things of the flesh, they don't have the spirit. They're hostile toward God, as the scripture says. They actually cannot subject themselves to the law of God. But we who are in the spirit subject ourselves to the law of God. So does that mean now that we are all perfect and we never sin? And the answer, of course, is no. And Paul says that. Wretched man that I am. It's the almost, but not yet. And so at some stage, when we are glorified, as Romans 8 says, for those um, that he predestined, he also chose, and those that he chose, he also justified, and those that he justified, he also glorified. On that day when we are glorified, then we will be sin-free. So it's the not yet, and we're moving towards that. So this is battle that goes on between us, but because we're in Christ, we are still set free from the law of sin of death, even though we are still sinning, but we are not in that law. And that also presupposes that there are those who are not in Christ. There are those that are in the flesh. And so there is this division between people. But that's another story because we need to go on to say, okay, how do we get into Christ Jesus? For those that are in the flesh, how do they get into Christ Jesus? Can they get into Christ Jesus? And that's for another time, because we really haven't got the time to unpack more of that. And I'm going to do Romans uh, on the next Sunday when I speak, and also the, the Sunday after that. And I'm hoping that I can actually bring more clarity to this for you and actually expand on it a little bit more so we can see the magnificent of God's word in Romans and those in the flesh and those that are in the spirit. So may God bless you this morning. I just pray that the Spirit will just illuminate your minds and where my uh, words perhaps have not been as effective to explain as we would like them to be.
you've got a bit muddled over the whole thing, that the spirit will actually enliven you and bring these things to mind. And I've always so been quite encouraged that many of you now are looking at whatever the message is in your home groups and talking to people about it. And that's great, you know, more power to your elbow. So bless you. And uh, we'll uh, speak about Romans on a, a, another Sunday.